Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Hi, everybody. It's good to see you all this morning. Glad we're here hanging in, right? We got a little rain last night. We believe that it's possible now. We can see it. We know it's going to happen. So we, uh, listen, I want to take just a second and just real quick, uh, I know, like, just maybe close your eyes just real quick. I just want a quiet kind of second. World moves fast. And we have this opportunity for the next uh, however long, few minutes to just be at rest. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would, Lord, whatever it is that we brought into this room, it'll it'll be there afterwards. But I pray, Father, that maybe what we hear and receive from you today would prepare us for that. I pray that you would redeem this time, that you would give us hearts to hear, minds to understand. Jesus, we thank you that we can meet you, that your spirit can fill us. And that's what we need. That's what we ask. Jesus, we thank you for all these things, and we ask in your name, amen. So now we've come to kind of our confessions we say every week, and we've been saying throughout the series that this is a confession that leads to freedom. When we wrap our hands around it, our hearts around it, our minds around it, it truly it leads us to a different kind of life. And so our confession as a church is we are badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace and peace to you by living into the reality of that, that we're broken, right? And not just wounded, but we, we cause problems, right? Like we, we have, we have, we're the problem, right? It also opens us up. There's some enthusiastic amen up here. This is good. We're ready to do work today. I love it, right? But really, that's not a, that's not the kind of thing that you just walk around declaring in our culture and our society and the thing that makes that safe, the thing that makes that something that we do is because we believe that we're deeply loved, that our brokenness doesn't exclude us from his love. And within that context, we're able to find freedom, freedom from masks, right? Freedom from having to pretend, right? Because we know we're loved, we're deeply loved. So that means that I don't have to have it all together. That means when I am confronted or the world is confronted with our radical, desperate, deep, brokenness, that we can know that there is in our souls, in, our, in the depth of who we are, we are still loved. And that enables us to live beyond that, free from judgment, free from others' expectations. When you realize that you are loved, not because of who you are, but because of who the Father is, because of who Jesus is, that free, you're, you're free from the expectations of others. You're free to say no to the things that you say no to. You're free to say yes to the things that you need to say yes to. And you're free to live wide open in that. And we talked about last week that really kind of just brings it all together. We said the area, the context for our freedom is our soul. Right, Like this integration of all of our parts, our thoughts and our feelings. And we said that sometimes those get sideways, right? Like we say yes to the things that we shouldn't say yes to. And sometimes we, even in our brains, we don't even know what we want. We think we want what's best. We come to find out that it's wrong. But what Jesus does in freedom is bring us, bring all of those parts together so that we're able to live at peace Right where we don't have part of us wants this, part of us wants this. We, we want to feel good. We want to take a nap. We want to be healthy. We want seconds. We want all of these 
things, right, and to be at peace with ourselves and to know the good that I want to do and wanting what is good, and we're able to walk that out. That is what Jesus called us for. But what we've seen throughout this is that soul freedom, that level of integration in our parts, where our thoughts and our feelings and our, our will, our decision and our physical context and our social context, all of that freedom begins in an environment of surrender. And we've said throughout this deal that there's you know, kind of a group that really gets this right is kind of the 12 steps. And this kind of series that we've been um, in for the last six weeks is a very condensed, I'm not co-opting them or claiming them or anything like that, but it's based on this idea that 12 steps of recovery, right? And it begins with this idea, this awareness, this alignment with the reality that it says, I am not God. There are so many things in this world that I just don't have control over. I don't have control over when it rains or when it doesn't rain. I don't have control over what you say about me or what you think about me. I don't have control over how my behaviors and my thoughts and beliefs affect and impact you. The only thing I have control over in the context of every minute is will I wear a mask? Will I exist in reality or not? I could, you know what? In recovery, what we say is like we came to realize that our lives had become unmanageable. And the second, we come to find that there is a God who is bigger than us, a God who is good. He is bigger than our insanity, and he's good. And so if we have a God who is good, then necessarily following that God will lead to what? Goodness, right? So our kind of disarray leads to bondage, right? It leads to all kinds of physical and mental and emotional addictions and hangups, right? But as we follow God, as we follow through his son Jesus, through his example, what we find is following him will lead us into good things. But here's the thing that we've been all around that it's been right there the whole time. <clears throat> following him means that we will oftentimes end up not following our own understanding, right? What we necessarily will say is if following Jesus always looked like following my own common sense, there would be more people that would have a Jesus-y kind of lifestyle, right? So that means that this way and this path of Jesus, it often leads us to have to choose. Will I choose what I believe, is, what I can see on the surface, or what I, will I follow what I believe we see in Jesus to be true? It means we have to choose between our own idea and definition of comfort and safety into what Jesus calls us into comfort and safety. And it won't always, what that means is my feelings, my awareness and perception of the world aren't ultimately ultimate. It means that Jesus will lead us in paths that are uncomfortable. Jesus will call us and ask us and invite us to set down things that right now you can't imagine your life without. Even things that you may say are good, he'll invite us to set those down and trust him to find something that is better. So what we've been looking at for the last six weeks is we've said at the beginning is kind of the process, right? Like acknowledging that we're not God and discovering God and turning it over to him, right? And this is kind of be the wrap-up of, of that. I want to say, like, next week, we're going to start looking at some practices that will help us walk this process out, right? Because walking through the process is great. Understanding, go, okay, I got to do that, I got to do that. How? How do I do that? What can I do today that's going to root me in that? Well, we're going to talk, listen, the non-PC term for it is spiritual disciplines, right? So what we're going to do is like we're just going to bait the hook and we're going to switch it. When you're getting, we're just going to call them habits, 
right? They're like good habits, like the habits that Jesus had. But we're going to talk a lot about them to help you walk out that long walk to freedom because it doesn't end today. We're going to look at today at a story. And straight up, this is a story that I've told before. If you've been here before, you've probably heard this story because it's just a beautiful encounter of Jesus. It's a story of freedom of what real freedom looks like and kind of bondage and what real freedom and what bondage looks like and how those two things side by side go together. Okay, so the context of our story, we're going to be in John chapter four. And the thing that you need to kind of know to go in is there's a group of people called Samaritans and they were to the Jewish people mongrels. They were, I don't really even know that there is a, there, there is a context in kind of United States culture for how these two societies went against each other. They didn't like each other. The Jewish people felt like the Samaritans had absolutely sold out, not just politically, but they sold out God, man. And there's a special kind of animosity that goes along with that. So when we come to uh, John chapter 4, what I want us to look at is we're going to recognize this woman, this Samaritan woman, right? And there's all kinds of things that we can probably acknowledge and recognize about ourselves and her. But what I want you to do, what I want you to first acknowledge and recognize that this woman is nothing that any, not even respectable Jewish person, you don't even have to be that respectable to hate and avoid the Samaritans, right? So I want you to notice this woman, how she behaves and responds, but what I want you to watch specifically and intentionally and deliberately is keep your eyes on Jesus. What does Jesus say and do, and what effect does that have? Because when we look at what Jesus is, you're looking at freedom in action, right? Because remember in Galatians 5, where we started, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. He calls you into this, this life of discipleship, this life of following him. It will increasingly and ultimately look like Jesus, which is freedom. So what does freedom look like in action? We begin in John chapter 4, starting in verse one, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, talking about John the Baptist, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. So we're basically finding out Jesus is in the midst of a big and growing, a thriving ministry context. Jesus is doing good ministry, man. He is busy. His calendar is full. He's doing all this. Lots of Jewish people are hearing about him. They're listening to him so much so that the Pharisees, the really religious people, are getting kind of anxious and cranky. And what we find in Jesus is he left Judea and went again to Galilee, and he had to travel through. Samaria. Okay, so we're going to put a map up here over on this side, if you can see it, right? So he was down in the south part where Jerusalem is. Can you see Jerusalem? And he has to get up by where, see the big blue dot on the right side? That's the Sea of Galilee. That's where he had to go. Now you look at this and you go, great, we'll go from Judea to Galilee right through Samaria. You would do that because you're like a normal person. The Jewish people at the time, they would walk three days and hundreds of miles due east and then due north and then over again a little bit to the, to the northwest simply to stay out of Samaria. They didn't even want to walk through the dirt. Now, sure, you could take, you could take the path. But for Jesus to say he had to go to Samaria, he didn't. In fact, most people wouldn't have gone through Samaria. So that's maybe a question that we can keep in mind as we're going, right? What was it that was in Samaria that Jesus just had to get to? 
that he couldn't take the accepted routes, right? If he'd have walked east and then north and then kind of northwest, he probably would have had many more friends along the way. It would have had a lot, lot more people along with him. It would have been acceptable. It would have been respectable. They would have seen and known and understood. But what Jesus did, he said, I've got to go a different way, right? So verse 5. So he comes to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. And it was about noon. So it's the middle of a Mideastern day. And Jesus has already been walking for a long time. I can imagine it would feel like about the last month has felt like for us. How would you feel having walked all days, 20, 30, 40 miles all through, and you get down, and it's high noon, and you're at a well, and you're sitting down? I just want you to kind of stop and feel that feeling and feel that moment right? I love that Jesus is a person and he feels things like thirst and fatigue. Verse 7, now a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now here's a question. Why is she there? We're not told that anybody else is there. And in fact, I think that's the purpose. If you read a lot of the commentaries, this woman came to this well in the middle of the day specifically and precisely to avoid a crowd. See, this is the mask. If they don't see me, they can't say anything to me. If they don't know what's really going on, then I won't have any shame or guilt or embarrassment. And so this woman, for whatever reason, we're probably going to find out in just a little bit, she decided and figured out it would be better for her to just do it alone, even if that meant the heat of the day, even if it meant not having any help, even if it meant no social contact, whatever. In fact, probably because it meant no social contact. This woman decided that she's going to go in the middle of the day. And so she comes and Jesus says, give me a drink. Now, this is a translation. Jesus was not like bossy, being bossy, bossy, right? This is like a question. Hey, will you give me a drink? Now, it's weird. She wasn't expecting him to be there. She probably, as she walked up to the well, she probably saw him there and she was a little bit freaked out. She's like, oh gosh, what's coming? I don't want to deal with this. You ever felt like that? Now remember, again, as she comes up and as she realizes who Jesus is, she realizes that he's a Jewish guy, that he's a Jewish man, right? Can you imagine feeling like, have you ever walked into a room and suddenly the conversation stops and it's real weird and you just know that was about me? Right? Like, not funny, funny, but kind of like, that sucks funny, right? Have you ever just felt outside? You recognize the looks of rejection. You know the look, right? You've, you've seen it. You've heard the whispers that you weren't supposed to hear. Seen the things that they say. You walk in, you catch a text message, right? It was a, not supposed to reply all, but they did reply all. I want you for just a second to sit in that feeling because that's where this woman is coming from as she walks up and sees Jesus, a Jewish man, sitting at the edge of the well, and now he's going to talk to her, and she knows that it's weird. She knows that it's not supposed to be that. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jewish men don't associate with Samaritan women. Jewish rabbis certainly don't associate in the middle of the day with a woman who's in a place where she shouldn't be. And she acknowledged this and she recognized it. And every single thing about this is weird. It's an odd time of the day. 
It's odd that he's there. It's odd that she's there. It's odd that he's talking to her, and it's odd what he asks her to do. Give me a drink. No offense, dude. Get your own drink, bro. You were here before me, and it's just weird. But listen, behind this whole thing, remember, Jesus had to go to Samaria. And I'm just not, I don't think it gives away too much to realize. You know why Jesus had to go to Samaria? Because Jesus had to have this encounter with this woman. And this is precisely the kind of encounters that all of the people of Israel at the time would have avoided. This is precisely the kind of encounter that this woman had built an entire life system around avoiding but Jesus because he's free because he's not ashamed because he's not embarrassed because he doesn't have any masks he lo- he shows us if we're going to follow Jesus if we're going to chase that chasing freedom will lead us to unlikely people in unexpected places if we are following Jesus we will find ourselves confronted by people who do not know him who do not do not know what he offers do not know what he brings to the table. And if we don't ever find ourselves in that kind of place, what I would humbly submit to you is you may be believing in him, but you're not following him. If you don't ever find yourself in the middle of a conversation where you go, I'm not really sure how I feel about this. He probably wants to lead you there at some point. But we can acknowledge it's weird Right. So now some of you know, right, like if you grew up in a church context, you grew around it. This is like what they call evangelism. Right. Uh, I grew up in Southern Baptist context. Right. And we like dropped the last letter. Right. And so it was evangelizing. And it happened at a night of the week. This is real. And you would go to people's house that not because they had invited you, but because they lived there at dinner time, And you would knock on the door. And you would ask them, like, like, how's it with your soul? And, like, if you died tonight, where would you go? <laughs> you know, and it's like, and it has to be aggressive because you're, like, gearing up for it. And it's, and it's just, and it's, and it's just kind of awkward and, and it's weird. And I'm grateful that, you know, some people have that gift. I, I don't have that gift. I don't, I don't have that thing. But the thing that we have to acknowledge, the heart behind that is Jesus found people that tradition ignored. The whole us and them lines didn't exist for Jesus. Jesus made mongrel territory a three-day, hundreds of miles of walk. He made that trip because there was something there, because there was a woman there that he needed to meet. So what do we do in these moments? Well, what did Jesus do? Verse 10, right? What did he say? Like, can you give me a drink? She's like, uh, get your own drink. And Jesus said, so what does he do? Does he yell at her? Do you not, listen, I'm a man. I'm a, like, I, you can't talk to me like that. He says, well, if you knew the gift of God and who's saying to you, give me a drink, you'd ask him and he'd give you living water. Now notice, do you remember what he said to Peter the first time? He said, I'll make you fishers of men. He's not talking to this woman about fish. Do you know why? Because she's not on a lake. She's at a well with a jar of water in the middle of the day. And what Jesus is doing here is he's building curiosity. He's not trying to close her. He's not trying to get her to pray the sinner's prayer. He's getting her curious. And so what does he talk about? He talks to her about her thirst, her need. Wouldn't it be great if you could have living water? Dum, 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 right? Oh, yeah, hey, living water sounds good. Let me tip my hat a little bit, as you're going to see, so as you watch this unfold. What Jesus is doing is he's building a bridge, Someone who is 
very different from him, even fundamentally different from him. In every way that Jesus is, this woman seems to be the opposite. And so what Jesus is doing is he's building a bridge here. You know what he's talking about? He's about to talk to her about this God who can quench thirst. A soul-quenching God to an isolated individual woman carrying an empty jug up the hill to a well. He's getting her curious. You want to talk about water? You want to talk about what's going on? Now, listen, if she just goes, great, good luck for you and your living water. I got the stoves on. Kids are crying, right? Whoever drinks, uh, yeah, curiosity, give me living well. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket. Now, listen, we read this and we're like, right, like imagine a little bit of cynicism. This guy interrupted her day. You don't even have a bucket, guy. Oh, you want to drink? You don't have a bucket. You don't have a cup. You don't have, you don't have anything. You, you got nothing. You're not ready. The well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't, are you, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well to drink from himself, and he did this his son. So what she's not doing is saying, thanks, it's nice to talk to you. Have a nice day. You know what she's doing? She's a little bit frustrated right now. Jesus is better. He's like, Right? And he's kind of real and drawn a pastor. But you know what she's doing? She's interested. Do you know why? Because Jesus didn't say, hey, you're terrible. Hey, you seem lonely out here in the middle of the day. What'd you do to make yourself lonely? He didn't stand up. He wasn't talking about four spiritual laws. He wasn't talking anything about that. He was talking to a thirsty lady about water. And she's curious. Put his finger on it. Right? What's that? So we come to verse 13. She's asking about the water, and Jesus says, well, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. And you know what she's going through her mind right now? Don't I freaking know it. Every day up the hill, every day empty water. And that well for her, sure, it's where she got water. But every day she watched the whole town going out to that water, 6 o'clock in the morning, walking out, and she goes, I'm not part of that. I don't get to be that. That's not for me. You bet I don't want to come back to this well day after day. You bet I'm tired of this. Whoever comes to this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I'll give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give will become a well of water springing up to him for eternal life. Hey, this isn't, I mean, this well's neat, but there's more. Sir, she said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And can you imagine how much she hates the well at this moment and have to come back here? She's hooked. Yeah, I want that. See, this is where it gets uncomfortable. When Jesus exposes something in us, when, he re- when we realize there's something that we're thirsty for, and we know we're thirsty because we chase it, and listen, we're, we're thirsty for the thing behind the mask, right? Like, like you may be an alcoholic, right, and, it, and, and you drink, but there's something behind that you wish that you, I, I, I wish that I could just deal with this feeling. I wish I could just process this thing that had happened. I wish I could just make peace with this disappointment that has haunted me for, for all of this time. I, I just want to be okay with that. I just want to not be thirsty, and I've tried everything, and I've looked around, and I've gone everywhere, and it's... It's just not working. She's not defensive. She's listening. Now, here's the thing that Jesus knows. Jesus still hasn't preached at her, has he? 
He just talked to her. He just invited her. See, one of the things I think that gets wrong with our kind of paradigm of, of faith sharing, I'm talking about what Jesus has done, is we put a lot of emphasis on the finish line. It's what we do in, in everything that we do, right? It's like, like you got to win it, right? we got to get there. Right? If you're not first, you're last. And you know, all these things, right? And so what Jesus knows is like Jesus isn't trying to, he's not trying to close this woman yet. He's just having a conversation there. He's not having an argument with her. He's just having, you know, a conversation. Hey, like, what's, what's going on? And here's the good thing, right? When we realize that it's not our job to change hearts, we're free to just like enjoy process. We're free to talk to any people at any time in any place from any background with any hangups and habits at any time in any place. You know the difference between a conversation and an argument is? In a conversation, you value the other person's position so much that you're actually willing to like listen to them. We said a couple weeks ago, right, like some of you need to go like have lunch with a liberal or have lunch with a conservative, or have lunch with a rich person, or have lunch with a poor person, or have lunch with a person who some way and sometime at some place is just fun, you seemingly fundamentally different from you. Because as we do that, right, like as we start to understand where they are and understand where they're coming from, that becomes that much easier to build a bridge. It becomes easy for you to realize and recognize where your story and their story intersects, right? So that's the question. What's your story? What has God done in your life? Now, some of you have been following God for a long time, right? And this really, I'm not necessarily just talking about the first time you met Jesus, but, but what is God doing something in your life right now? And let me just acknowledge and say, if you have a hard time pinpointing something and just going, well, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. Listen, there's no shame in that. But what I would say is maybe you need to close that gap a little bit, right? Like maybe you need to get a little, a little closer to Jesus. You need to start building like getting some of those habits and some of those disciplines in, right? But what's God done in your life lately? How about this? Maybe you have been a believer just for a little while. Why did you start following Jesus? Some of you have been baptized out here recently. Why did you do that? What was it that made that? Listen, that's your story. And you may not know the problem is we think that when we go out and talk to people, we got to talk to them, right? And they're just like, well, was the world created in six literal days or was it eras? And you know what? You're free to just go. Don't know I wasn't there. I'm not sure of that. I don't really know. What, can you have women? Yeah, love them. They created them. They're good. I, I don't know about all the other stuff. But what I know is where he's found you, the story that you find yourself in. What has God walked you through? What has he delivered from? Where are you on your journey now? Listen, I know some of you are in here and you've got kids that are you're worried about. You got kids that you're not sure they're ever coming back. I want you to know, I know. I want you to know I was that kid. I want you to know that I've got a mom sitting right there who for 15 years didn't really have much hope that it could be okay. But I know her story now is can be okay. Will be okay. See, the place that you're in right now, the journey where you're on right now, you may just have to say, I don't know how it's going to turn out for my kids, but I'm trusting God right here and right now. You know the power of that is? That's all really any of us can do. And so if you're trusting God in this moment for your kids' safety, for their well-being, for their deliverance, for their whatever it is, if you're trusting God, if you're standing right now, that's your story. 
And there's somebody that needs to hear that story. And here's the thing. You know who needs to hear that story? A person whose kids are off the rails. And so what that means is we may need to go find some parents whose kids are criminals. Well, but then they'll come here, and then what? We'll tell them about Jesus. It's not your job to change their hearts. You can't even change your own heart. But you can point to the Jesus who changes, who wants to change all of our heart, right? So Jesus is meeting her where she is, and he's just inviting her to respond in verse 16. So Jesus now, what does he say? Go call your husband. And this is like, like if you're a salesman and you come to my house and you offer to sell me something uh, and, and I listen to it, you know what my response is going to be? Oh, man, it sounds really good. If it's just up to me, I would buy it. But my old, you know, the old lady. <laughs> She's going like, don't call your wife your old lady. But like, I always blame it on, right? I can't make that decision without my wife. So for her, she could be just be like, Jesus, she's like, great. Well, now I'm going to sell you something great. We're going to close the deal right now. So go get, go get your husband and then come back here, right? Now, listen, shh, real quick. Like, I just want you to be in this moment. This is a holy moment right here. Her response is, I don't have a husband. And I want you, as we unpack these next couple minutes, I want you to think about that answer. And as you see what Jesus says to her, I want you to think about all the different ways that this lady could have answered that question. She could have responded to that. You know what I would have said? Great, I'll go get him. I'll be right back. Because Jesus says, you have said correctly, I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So now when we're talking about thirst, We're not just talking about Jacob's well. Now when we're talking about why are you here in the middle of the day, now you understand the shame. Now you can imagine her heart. What's this Jewish rabbi, this guy who already thinks less of me, what's he going to say about me here in the middle of the day now that he knows who's true, right? But here's the thing that's very important because if you read this, right, like is Jesus exposing her? What kind of jerk, Jesus? Like what do you do? Here's the thing. This is beautiful loving confrontation. Do you know why? This is not, Jesus is not shaming this woman, right? Jesus really doesn't, he, he really doesn't do that, right? Here, here's how I know this because Jesus is in her space. He's on her turf, right? He didn't grab her and wrangle her later in John 8. There's a story, right, where they throw this woman who's caught in adultery and she's surrounded by religious people, not their turf. Incidentally, Jesus defends her again as well. Jesus does a real good job of defending women who were in a bad place, right? He did that. Sure did love them. We better do that too, right? That's a side sermon. We won't talk about that, but he's not shaming her because he's in her place. And you know what he did? He offered an invitation, an opportunity for her to take it or leave it. She could have just said, okay, I'll go get him. I'll be, I'll be right back. You wait here. Don't leave until I get back. And then she never comes back, right? It would have been easier for her to get out. Jesus left her an opportunity. He let her way out. But here's the deal. What Jesus is offering her is freedom. And you cannot talk about freedom unless you talk about baggage. As difficult as it is, we cannot talk about what we're free from unless we talk about what we're addicted to. So what does she say? She heard the implications. She knew if she felt pressured by Jesus, if she felt like Jesus was busting her chops or judging her, it's easy for her to get out. It's easy for her to get away. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. And so like, duh, like he just told you all the stuff, right? Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Listen, I want you to identify with this woman because you know what she's doing? I think she's trying to give Jesus an out 
and I think it's self-sabotage. Every once in a while, you'll run up against somebody who, when the pressure gets on, when the relationship gets a little bit too close, the first thing they try to do is blow it up. Give you an opportunity, right? They'll yell at you. They'll say something at you. And the ideas behind that, you just go, yeah, see, I knew it. I knew this was too good to last. You didn't really want to give me living water. You just, you, you were looking for something. You misjudged. You thought I was one thing, but I wasn't. But now that it's all out in the open, surely now you're going to go. And so what does she do? She starts talking about our differences. Oh, yeah, well, you're a Jew and Samaritan, so that means we worship differently. And you're clearly a, a spiritual guy because you're talking to me about God. So what you, what you need is different. And what she's doing is she's pushing him away. But listen, Jesus has built a bridge. He's already invested. Yeah, I think that's the problem. We don't invest enough in people who are different from us. We don't see the people who are far away from God as people that we have to go to. We don't see the people across the aisle as people we have to go to. So when we say go build a lunch, it's for this. It's so that you're invested enough in another person that whatever the differences are, whenever they try to push you away, you're too invested because you know those are the ultimate things. Those are the kingdom things, right? That's why we go to lunch, so that we can know what the real thirst is. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's safety. Maybe it's it's. I don't know what it is, approval or something, but when you hang around and know someone enough to know what's the thing behind the thing so that you can begin to talk about that. So she keeps it spiritual, right? Oh, yeah, we're still talking about water and we're still talking about worship, but she's highlighting the differences. And we skip down a few verses. Jesus in 23 answers her question about worship. He, does, he talks about what she's talking about. He says, an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So we talked last week a little bit about spirit. Our spirit is the seat of our will, right? Like, it's our heart. And here's the deal that Jesus is saying is, everybody, you, me, the woman at the well, Peter, we all have to decide, will we or won't we? And that is a choice that you make. And listen, worship is a choice. You choose to stand and sing and express. You choose to pray or not to pray. You choose to grow or not to grow. You choose to take the mask off or to keep the mask on. And what Jesus is saying is the Father is a gentleman and he will not force you to live in or walk in his freedom. He will not change the description or the definition of what freedom is. And he will not bypass the pathway that it needs to make it easier because he's not really that interested in us having it easy. He's interested in us being free. And so he will call us and he will invite us and it will hurt and he will expose something in you and you will feel exposed and you will feel like, Jesus, you've let me down. Jesus, you've hurt me. You've cut me. You've wounded me just like everyone else. And the woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Here's a nice, interesting little note, guys. What do we do with our strength, right? Jesus elevated this woman. Do you know who the first person, when you put the chronology of the you know, harmony of the New Testament in all in order in the Gospels, do you know who the first person that Jesus reveals his, his divinity to? A Samaritan woman with five previous husbands and now living with someone who's not. She's the first one to get it. And you know what he says, right? As she's standing there and she knows this is different. She's like, I feel this. This is love. And you know what Jesus says? 
Jesus says, I love you, but he says, when she talks about Messiah, the Christ, about the, the anointed one, the, God's, the leader that was going to come from God, and he's like, Jesus is like, that's me. Do you want to know how God feels about you, Jesus says? He feels about you like I do. He feels enough about you that he's willing to kick his closed-minded disciples away, send them in the town to buy food that he doesn't really need so that he can spend an hour alone with you on your terms. And sure, he's going to uncover the garbage. He's going to float it to the top because he wants to take it away because he wants you to know, listen, you're badly broken, but listen, you are so deeply loved. That is the invitation to freedom. That is what Jesus wants you to see. He wants you to see that the Father loves you. He's the expression of that. And he wants you to choose it with your soul. He wants you to choose that way and that path. But it's always a choice and it is never an ultimatum. But he says you have to worship in spirit and in truth, which means you walk with masks off. You walk before the Lord, you walk with the masks off, and he deals with you as you truly are, not as you pretend to be, not as you want to be, not as you wish you were. That means when you go before him, you say, Father, I am broken. Everyone else can think you're a hot shot, right? You stand before the Lord, and you go, Lord, I submit to you. I give my will and my way to you. But what's important for us is that Jesus is a demonstration of what freedom looks like in action, Freedom goes, freedom loves, and here's the thing. You can't talk about freedom without addressing sin, and you shouldn't talk about sin without talking about freedom. That's why we tell our stories. Not that we're great, not that we've got all the doctrine right, but the story that we tell is, I am broken, and I am loved. And the more that I walk in that love, the more I'm living beyond that brokenness. Brokenness doesn't define me anymore. His love defines me. Jesus gave that, and here's what happens. When people catch a freedom of that, a vision of that, amazing things start to happen. Listen to verse 28. When the woman left her water jar and went into town, first of all, do you remember the whole reason she was there in the first place? To get water. She doesn't need that anymore. She's full. She found what she was looking for. She is quenched. She, not only that, but listen, she ran into town and told people, the same people that she'd been hiding from for her whole life. And that story that she tried to cover up, and listen, we don't know, we're not calling her, like there's every evidence in this deal that this, this woman wasn't some kind of loose woman. This woman had been beat up by life, had been divorced or left, her husbands had died or whatever, but she'd just been given up and she'd accepted that her story would be on the fringes and the margin. And now she's at the center of a story about what Jesus can do. He told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left town. They're made this way to him. Listen in verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of what he said. Listen, Jesus was perfectly free, and what he did is he expressed himself by giving away grace. We know we're free when we can live in grace. Listen to what he told his disciples, verse, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. He's sending him out. He says, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven. That's your message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. But notice, oh, great. The kingdom of heaven, what does that mean, right? Well, he tells them, right? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, and drive out demons. Listen. Are you listening real quick? Do you know what that means? If we're going to have that message, that means we better be where sick people are. Because if we're not, we don't have a message. 
If it's just like, hey, we're healthy, we're wealthy, we're good, we got all this stuff, that's not the message. Heal the sick. The lepers, right? The lepers, here's the thing about the lepers. The lepers, they weren't even allowed in the city. They were so outcast. They were so ostracized. They had to stay away. And if somebody even walked toward a leper, you know what they had to do? They had to shout, unclean. There was like a big scarlet letter on the whole body. And Jesus was like, if you're with me, you'll be with them. That means you got to go there. That means this meeting, this gathering should be filled with people who are and acknowledge who we know that we are broken not just wounded, but unclean, in need of a Savior. The last part of that, he says, freely you have received, freely give. You are free in the Father's presence. You are free to give yourself away. In your relationships, give the dignity of relationship without expectation. Just love and serve people humbly, vulnerably. They're not a project. They are a person that the Father loves. And you are not ever responsible for getting them into heaven. You are responsible for washing their feet and for serving them in such a way that they go, what is up with you? Then you have an opportunity to tell them about a God who found you and told your story. Give a compelling vision of free life. Give your story of moving towards freedom. And then give an invitation. Just invite people to join you on your journey. You know what that means? It's going to be a messy journey. It's going to be long and arduous and tedious, and we're going to have to figure out how to make it. But the journey is with Jesus, and that's the key and the important thing. So each week during this series, we've had a moment of reflection, and I want to give that moment Again, where are you on your journey? Maybe you're here today and you just go ahead and start it. I'm that woman at the well and I, yeah, I've been hiding. I've been going to the well today and I'm trying, and I don't know what your well is, but you've been, I'm trying to fill up and fill up and I'm tired of going to the stinking well every day. I want to tell you, Jesus will quench you. He'll quench you. You just got to ask. You got to follow. But maybe you've been, a, you've been following him for are you as passionately concerned about the people that are the mongrels? Are you as passionately concerned about them as Jesus is? Because what we're told is that Jesus had to go out of his way. He had to defy convention to go see one woman at a well in the middle of the day. That is the heart that Jesus has for people that are far away from him. That's the heart he has for you. So as Natalie and Jackson lead us, just search your heart. Listen for the heart of Father who loves you and who loves this world that he sends us into. And then I'll come back and close this. Let me be filled with kindness and compassion for the one. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see.
harmed us, you made us carefully, cause in the end, we're all your children, and help me to love with open arms like you do, I love that erases all the lines and sees the truth, oh that when they look of us that we think make us unlovable and we search for invisibility. We try to push people away with with self-sabotage and you are persistent in your love and your searching. So I pray that we would as well. I pray that we wouldn't settle. I pray that we wouldn't settle. Give us a love for the people around us, the people that annoy us, the people that hurt us, the people that are different from us. Help us to see them as you see them. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. Jesus, I pray that we would walk in freedom. I pray that we would walk in the kind of freedom that allows us to simply love. And listen, people won't get it. People that only want to talk about love won't like us talking about about baggage and about sin and about hurt people that love pointing to talking about all the baggage and the sin and they won't want us talking about grace and forgiveness and freedom so give us the courage and the discipline to fight for the 
spirit and the truth. Jesus, we love you. We are drawn to you. Jesus, we ask all of these things for your glory and in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.